Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the essential role design plays in our everyday lives. And how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with a brilliant architect and furniture designer, Daniel Bottom. Tune in as we chat about how being exposed to his mother's colorful homeland of Venezuela as a child and how that influenced him. The first piece of furniture he fell in love with and designing homes from the inside out. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? Welcome to Design Your Life. Thanks, Vince. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really cool. We're in Erskineville in Sydney, not far from our studio. Where, you're, whereabouts are you based? I'm uh, based not too far in Botany. In Botany. And then also you're in Byron too, right? Yeah, yeah, Byron as well. So between God. two places. You've got that incredible life of living in two places like that. Yeah, it's good to mix it up. It looked like the whole world moved to Byron during the pandemic. Is that when you guys moved? No, we actually moved pre-pandemic, so um, yeah, we we're, were very lucky to be there for it. But yeah, def- definitely noticed a, a lot of expats uh, coming in. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really cool that people are actually commuting too from from there to from Byron to Sydney a lot. Yeah, you're a phenomenal architect and furniture designer, and it's really cool that you do both. And on the back wall here, we have some examples of of, of some of your work. Tell me a bit about your upbringing. Both my parents are architects. Um, Dad's an architect. Um, Mum was an architect, but then she changed to interior design and interior decoration. So they had a had a business um, together. Growing up, we grew up in a creative household, so very exposed to um, beautiful furniture, artwork. Um, when I was little, our house that they built was quite experimental. Like like all architects building their own home, uh, it had chocolate chocolate uh, and pinstripe carpet had black lacquered ceilings it had these crystalline forms and these big ramps that you could run up and slide down the building on um so it was a sort of fusion. where was that that was in mossman yeah in mossman bay so it was nestled in amongst the bushes in, in nature so it was quite cool that's really interesting because i've talked to a lot of people over the years and some a lot of architects a lot of them not a lot of them had parents that were architects for example and then i'd be really interesting both your parents were doing that mm. must have been an incredible influence on you so did you know from early age that's what you wanted to do then? Uh, I, I sort of actually wanted to be, I always knew I wanted to be a furniture designer um, from an early age um, and I looked up and all the, the furniture designers, good ones that I admired were all architects um, and really learnt about architecture and design through osmosis really. So <clears throat> my parents would take me to their studio on the weekends and I'd, I'd spend my time entertaining myself underneath the drawing boards, crawling around, looking at materials and sort of moving them around and playing with them and drawing on the old drawings that would sort of fall on the floor that were sort of mine for the taking. Yeah, wow. That's neat. And understanding kind of playing with the materials at an early age like that is really cool. Um, What was your first piece of furniture that you fell in love with? Uh, It would be the Willow Chair by Renee McIntosh. So it was... Um, an unusual piece that was iconic in the living room setting that it was the only piece that wasn't functional. 
So it was the only uncomfortable bit of furniture that we had. Yeah. <laughs> and it felt strange and foreign. Um, I used to look at it and draw it um, a lot and just try and figure out how it was made. Uh, felt like it could have been a diagram for a city or it was communicating like a greater idea beyond just a chair. It felt like a piece of architecture. Um, and in front of it on the coffee table book we had a uh, book by Pierre Mondrian and, um, yeah, his, his black and white works were very similar um, with the grids to this chair as well so I could see the language and was very interesting. So you lived a very curated life. Yeah. Carefully positioned <laughs> objects and books, etc. It, it was cu- curated to a, to a point but then when we moved the furniture all came with us and then it, it was curated once for the first house but then it became uncurated as we as we moved. It became quite eclectic. And did you move a lot? We moved a fair bit, yeah. So they were, they were always developing their house and looking to, to do extensions and that, that kind of thing and then sometimes we lived in clients' houses as, as they went overseas to sort of, yeah. Kind of makes me wonder because a, a lot of architects do that, don't they? They kind of just continually have this project of their home yeah and do they ever do they ever get content with it or do they go you know I've been here a couple of weeks it's finished been finished for a few months now uh, let's think about the next project is yeah. that how it works or what it's how it works for me too <laughs> is it <laughs> yeah i love so a project how many houses have you uh, done uh, i've done five. Oh wow yeah your dad's australian and your mom's venezuelan yeah and what was like growing up with those two different cultures yeah, it was, it was very interesting. Um, Mum always had a yearning for Venezuela, which was the homeland, so <clears throat> culturally complete opposite of Australia. Um, so, yeah, her, her having that yearning created a yearning in me for travel and, and sort of romanticism around, around other cultures. Um, we used to visit Venezuela um, once, once a year for, for many years. Uh, during my upbringing, which was really interesting. So um, during my formative years, we, we used to go to New York where I'd see this amazing dynamic city and then we'd arrive in Caracas where it was very electric but, you know, the, the first arrival in Caracas felt um, suddenly this injection of colour which I hadn't seen before, um, which was the artist Carlos Cruz Diaz and he had... Um, his artwork integrated in the airport as well as other brutalist buildings throughout um, throughout Caracas, which was really interesting. But, um, yeah, vis- visiting other cultures and seeing also seeing extreme poverty was um, was a good eye-opener and very humbling. So it was, it was good to be exposed to that in my upbringing. Is that, is that why your mum left Venezuela? Did, they meet, did your parents meet in Australia or what? Uh, they met in London, yeah. So, um, yeah, she... She was there on a scholarship from Venezuela um, and then she, yeah, fell in love with Dad and <laughs> he, he lured her back to Australia. Wow. So that wasn't part of her plan? No. Um, and were you born in Sydney? I was born in Sydney. Born okay, cool. In Sydney. So, and what was your life like, apart from your wonderful houses you lived in? So what was school like? Were you good at school? Uh, I wasn't good at school. I was terrible at school. So, um, yeah. That's good to hear. So uh, was I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Something to be proud of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was dyslexic with ADD and um, yeah, record for detentions and just just sort of had a hard time at academ- academic life. You can't um, even say it. No, I can't even say it. <laughs> can't even spit it out. It's the big it's, words it's we missed out on at school. Yeah. 
Uh, wow, so th it's unusual then you became an architect because that does take a lot of, you know, a lot of um, academic yeah. aspects to that. Well, so I was very good at um, art and woodwork and anything, you know, creative. I was I excelled at naturally. Um, so that sort of created a path forward for me. And then I really realised from a, from a young age what I wanted to do. Um, and then I realised at the point in my life that having the record for detentions was uncool and... I needed to focus and uh, get the right marks to get into architecture um, and then, yes, pull my finger out and stuff. And when was that? Was that the last semester or something of, last of high years. school? Last two years. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, last two years. Shit. Well, there was a turning point there. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, did you do some time in jail or something? No. Or what, <laughs> no. Well, what, what happened? It was just a realisation of, of um, if I continue doing the same thing, like I won't able to do what I what I love doing or, or what I felt like my life calling was unfolding to be um, so that was really that that passion for design that sort of made me focus and, and get that that's really interesting because a lot of people either some people have like from day one know exactly what they want to do and they're like you know absolute boffins at school you know like other people just go cruise through it and just don't make the effort and you know that but you had that point that like a real wake up call, I guess. Yeah, I probably had some pressure from your parents. Would have thought too. Like, no, not surprisingly damn, not. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah surprisingly. There goes my theory. They were very chilled. I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was toying okay. with the idea of either um, dropping out of school and becoming a carpenter or a stonemason, something with my hands, um, or doing doing architecture. Yeah, I was, I was toying with the idea of going to Japan and learning how to do carpentry at one point. Wow, that's really cool. Um, but it all panned out well. Thank it did, thank you. And you went, tell, tell us about some of the um, your cohorts at um, at uni too, because you got some pretty big names you were in the same classes with. Yeah, we, we had a great year. So we had um, Calvin Ho from McKin, we had Jeremy Ball, uh, Blaney North, we had Hannah Tribe the year above, uh, Tom McArcher. So we had a we had a great lineup of, of people that was um, Calvin and I off, often joke. Probably because the TR was was so low <laughs> for uh, us to get in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, funny! Well, we've had him on the podcast too. He's he's a great guy, lovely guy. Yeah, he's um, a legend. And um, was he, I think his dad was an architect, wasn't he? Uh, he was a project manager, I think. Oh. Yeah. It's interesting when you get like a group in certain years or certain universities. Is this there's like a real talent pool mm. that comes through? All you know, like they've all gone on to do really good things. Mm. Um, so obviously it's cool to be, I mean, did you kind of just hit it off together? Like, did you like have the same kind of ambitions as well? Yeah, we did. We did. We definitely hit it off. So, um, yeah, we, we hung out all the time together. Um, Kelvin and I and another guy, Joe Snell, Finn Murray, Jeremy. Um, yeah, we're all part of the same little posse. So it was, <laughs> it was, architecture was, was very good because you would design in, in a group as well. So we had open studios, but um, occasionally they would train you to let go of your ego <laughs> and work together in, on group assignments, group design, so you'd share ideas and it was really fantastic. Wow. Was that unusual at first or what? I mean, It felt foreign at first. Like there was this big push of like everyone trying to go, well, my idea is the best yeah. and um, then you get through that, the dust settles and then you sort of just start vibing off each other and enjoying it. 
And what, what happened after uni then? What was your first steps into getting into the industry? Uh, after uni, sort of, um, my dad had a, was a sole practitioner, so I started working from him to, to learn how to detail and learn the craft. Um, and then I finished there and went to London to gain more experience. So I started getting private jobs for myself um, on the side as well and just life sort of started getting a bit serious quite quite quickly and just wanted to gain more life experience. So um, then went to London to work for Black Architecture, which is a company that specialised in sustainable mixed-use projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and there it was super interesting. Um, I was sitting next to a sustainable expert that was uniquely commissioned for an architecture studio, which was quite rare, um, which would look at the systems and processes and, you know, what goes into the buildings and how to fine-tune it, um, as well as how, how like, a, a firm of, you know, for me, 16 people is a lot of people, but that's classified as a, probably a small business. But yeah. for me back then that was, like, big and exciting and yeah. seeing how the dynamics of that was working was cool. Well, how did that influence you then, sitting next to the sustainable expert? Has that affected you and your, everything you do now? Yeah, absolutely. So um, taking on board some of the, the same sort of ideas and philosophies, we um, take that into the practice as well as the furniture making. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you were working with your dad for a bit there. Yeah. So um, how did, did you guys see eye to eye? Originally, yes. He laughs. And then towards the end, no. Oh, really? Uh, He fired you? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would have been tough. Yeah. So what happened? uh, We started working together when I got back from London. Um, So I was in charge of sales, marketing, um, sort of growth, and he was in charge of technical as well as his, his sort of clientele. And then I would sort of leverage off that and bring in new clients. Um, which which we built up to, it was really fun and exciting in the early stages and we were doing lots of different projects, so different scales, um, commercial fit-outs, residential, um, very, very large mixed-use projects. Um, and then we grew to like a team of 12 and then that became less fun for, for me, more stressful and probably a bit of a relationship pressure. Um we finished off there. Dad got really sick with cancer and had to had to, you know, he got diagnosed with stomach cancer and um, yeah, not not too long to live. So he had to uh, retire very very quickly, um, which was super traumatic. And um, yeah, I had to take over his projects and look after him and just just under a, an incredible amount of stress for a couple of years. Can't imagine how hard that would have been. Oh, it was awful. Yeah, it's definitely like the dark period of my life, what I refer to as. What did it, what did it, what did you learn from that? Uh, learned resilience. You, you started your own business, obviously, yeah. not long after that. But. Yeah, I kind of felt at the time we had some, some of these clients were very tough customers. Um, so I sort of felt that it was a baptism of fire for me because um, I wasn't involved in, in, you know, contract administration and some of the other technical aspects of the business at that time so it's it definitely a baptism of fire um but i sort of felt you know very proud to get through that pro- process and that period and come out the other side and, and feel very very capable of moving things forward and um just wanted a fresh start after that realized my heart was really in residential and in the small scale and also my dream of doing furniture was always kindling there in the background. Um, so I ended up closing down the business and then just restarting another one from scratch. 
um, rebranding, fresh energy, and just focused on on what I wanted to do, but also having a work life balance as well was important. Did it? Did it? Was it easy to do that? I mean, that's a it's a big thing to start a business. It was hard. Yeah, it was definitely hard. But once you know in your heart um, that it's the right decision, yeah. you know, I'm big on action and big on getting there. Quick, like, what's the quickest route to get there? Um, and that was it. So this was 10 years ago, 2013, you started. You've done a lot since then. Um, and you also work with your wife, Kelly. Yeah. As a photographer. Um, yeah, so she photographs all my furniture um, and we collaborate um, just on concepts for, for certain things. And, um, yeah, we, we work alongside each other quite often. Well, that's cool. And just talk about your, your approach to architecture. Just generally, it looks like your, um, the homes that you design. Yeah. Um, so I, I typically design from the inside out and, and really looking at um, function, good proportions, bringing in natural light, um, very big on materials. So exploring and expressing the materials that we're using in the design is, is super important. Um, at the moment, we're really invested in using locally sourced materials to reduce the, the um, embodied carbon footprint, um, as well as a lot of timber in our projects as well. So timber sequest carbon, which is great. Mm. When you say local materials, like what, stone or what? Uh, so, yeah, local stones, local bricks that are locally made, um, Australian hardwoods. Yeah, just, just where, wherever we can do local, we'll, we'll do that. Um, and I tend to, to design as a system. So I look at a, a house and look at what's the individual language for that and then apply that to all the details. So it creates this holistic designed environment whether it's a right down to a door handle that that represents the architecture concept um through to the furniture pieces and that's sort of how how i design the furniture as well i think of it curated in an environment and how they all relate together so very big on relationships um sort of like when you go into a forest there is an inherent relationship between all pieces but they're they're all different in their own way but there's the relationship and the language is there and um do you work closely with the owners of the house i mean do they have any say in this yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) often not afterwards yeah (laughs) no it's it's their house and i try and pick up on how they want to live and their idiosyncrasies um and really tailor the designs to enhance their lifestyles um, but, but ultimately, we, we conduct an interview process you know, upon first briefing, making sure I'm a good fit, but also making sure they're a good fit. Oh, that's good. Um, to make sure it's a harmonious experience because it, it lasts three to four years each project. Yeah. And do you ever say, look, you guys have no idea or you got bad taste or yeah, for you don't sure. have money? What, what, what's, your, what's your criteria for saying no to somebody? Uh, look, if, if they're not a nice person, I probably wouldn't want to work with them. Um, so very, very big just on emotional connection, human connection, um, making sure that we're aligned in terms of the vision. So what their ambition is aligns with what I can deliver and, and sort of my talent stream that, that I'm going to be a good fit for them. Um, so if I'm not, then I'll decline the commission politely. If, if I don't think I'm a good fit or if they're not a good fit for me, I'll also decline it. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Being small has enabled me to be selective, which has been great. And what kind of budgets are the projects you work on? Like are they high-end luxury homes or what? Yeah, high, high-end luxury homes. So typically um, 
seven to sort of 12 million is, is around the sort of mark. That's the build the cost. Build cost yeah. Wow. I mean, well, I say wow. That, that <laughs> used to be a lot of money. Look, it used uh, today to be, it was like, yeah. you know, you don't get much for that, do you? It used, to be, used to be like $3 million, um, and then now it's just gone up and up and up. So it's, it's a bit sickening how much things cost. Yeah. Um, and how, how has uh, your design evolved over the last 10 years? Uh, it's, it's become more refined um, over the last few years as my sort of as your knowledge base grows in, in architecture, it's a beautiful profession that um, you kind of supposed to be in your prime when you're 75. <laughs> so you're forever evolving. You've got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, I've got a long way to go. Yeah. You're, you're forever evolving and learning uh, throughout your career. But um, yeah, I'm very much into considered simplicity in my approach um, to, to everything, whether that's. Um, uh, a, a beach coastal home to a you know inner city pad the, the approach and um, understanding of materials and sort of simplicity is always the foundation for that when you're working on a home do people share their current furniture with you and go you like is that part of the factor how do you decide not to work with them or to work <laughs> no. with them um and i mean how much of the do you, i guess you must go into their current home um if they've got a current home yeah and then they talk about the dream that they have for building this new home. Like, obviously for you, every single object and piece, furniture, et cetera, as well as the house is really important to get that all right. Yeah. How do you navigate that? It's a, it's a tricky one. Not, not everyone wants me to do the, the full thing. Like some, some clients want me to do everything and that's cool. Um, and other clients, um, they might want a different different aesthetic for um, the decoration package or so there's flexibility within that working relationship um, to work through those issues. But um, yeah, a lot of people when they're building these homes, you're really crafting a lifestyle and they're, they're very invested in the aesthetic and how they want to live. Um, so they understand architecture and they, they want a complementary interior environment and then after that they <laughs> they want the finishing touches to also be in harmony with with everything else does anyone ever have a strong opinion about like a piece of art or a chair that you don't like that you go that's just going to ruin the whole thing yeah absolutely and some people have like things that, that they admit isn't going to fit in with the environment but it's sentimental value and that's cool too because, you know... Is it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> Not for the photo shoot. Yeah. yeah. Swap it out for the photo shoot. No, but that's like human you know, connection <laughs> things. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. So you said before you got dyslexia. Is that right? Are you yeah. joking about that? No, no. An ape you have? I have, yeah. How do you spell it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what about... Um, you said ADHD? Yeah. And so how do you manage that? Um, Are you highly medicated or like? No, not at all. You seem like a really calm guy. Like. Yeah, not at all. I manage it through um, through very big on finishing what I start. So um, I used to do four paintings at once and do lots of different things and lots of different hobbies and yeah. lots of like just mar like too many things. So I've 
brought it right back down to just zero in and focus and if I start saying I'm, I'm big on finishing it um, and through just mindfulness. So, yeah, meditation and yeah. that kind of thing. You talked about it the other day. I thought it was really cool. I just did a course on meditation. In fact, with Tim Brown, he's on, on the podcast and it's just, I, I've been doing it for like maybe six weeks now. I should be doing it right now, actually, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it later. Uh, sometimes I fall asleep, uh, which is not great. Uh, but it has made a big difference to my life. How does it affect yours? Yeah, fantastic. I enjoyed that podcast as well. Oh, did it? Yeah, have you, you've, been, you've been doing it for a long, much longer time now. Yeah, I've been doing it for about five years. Yeah. Um, I found it's it's really calmed me down, um, made me more focused, able to sort of concentrate better and, and do my job a lot better. So I'm able to sort of sit in my zone um, a lot easier than without it. And, um, yes, it's, it's been fantastic. And... What else do you do in terms of, you're obviously a very fit guy. Do you exercise? Yeah, I do, I do lots of different things for exercise. So um, I walk every day for an hour. Um, I do Pilates three times a week and I do yoga and swimming and that kind of stuff. Jeez, a few things. That's quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it up. it's so good for your, your, your kind of mental state, isn't it? Mm. I yeah, find if fantastic. I don't exercise for the week, it's really, I feel so stressed. Oh, definitely. You know? Um, in terms of your your big on um, your focus on sustainability, do you want to unpack that? Like, uh, and and how do you, how do you apply that? I know you said before about when you're designing a home that you use local material, but do you use like recycled materials as well? Yeah, we're we're now trying to use a lot, a lot more recycled materials in our in our um, practice as well as products. Um, so the circular economy, um, participating in that steel in furniture, we we're using. Um, sustainably forested timbers as well as low VOC uh, finishes um, from the products that we're making. We're actually now using the offcuts to, I'm about to use the offcuts to create a, a homewares collection. So oh, wow. trying to have like minimal to zero waste. Um, all the furniture's custom made to order as well. Mm. Um, so there's no, we're not like a big organisation where we'll make 10 or 100. We make it uniquely specific to the client's requirements. Um, and that's been that's been really interesting. And through technology, um, through architecture, we've got incredible tech now that we can um, simulate the sun path. We can simulate different environments and sort of calibrate it to be more efficient. And the f- furniture design, are you just continually, as well as doing the homes, are you designing the furniture for the specific? Can even say it. Are you designing the furniture for specific homes, or are you just doing it for to sell as individual pieces? No, just just individually to sell as individual pieces. So I designed some virtual make believe homes for myself, um, which I use to create the, the, as inspiration to create the furniture for. Um, but I like it just to be its own creative exploration, where I, I don't have pressure. Uh, for it to be any certain way by by clients, um, that it's really just my own standalone thing that I do for my own enjoyment, and then I put it out there to the world and see if they like it. And talk, talk about your new showroom that you just said you're, you've acquired. Yeah, we just got the keys uh, two days ago, which is super exciting. So, yeah, it's been seven years since I did my first uh, furniture piece, uh, the monu- which was the monument table, and um, yeah, we've really grown the collection and built it up to this point. Um, where I've got selling internationally and we've got, um, yeah, just, just about to open on uh, Smith Street in, um, in uh, Collingwood. So, yeah. Yeah, in Melbourne. 
Um, that's exciting. So when would it open? Uh, that's a good question. We're, we're keeping that flexible at the moment, oh, but okay. uh, it'll be sometime in April. Yeah. And what do you like being your own client? I mean, if you're, I mean, I find it hard when I'm self-initiating projects. I don't know if you find that. Like if someone comes to you to say, design my house, it's kind of easier than saying, if I was to design my own house, what would it be? Yeah. Like, I find that hard. Yeah, d designing your own house is incredibly hard. I'm actually going through that at the moment. But for um, my being my own client for furniture, mm. I find it easy because creating uh, my own projects, I'm unrestrained through financial pressure as well, um, where it just gives complete creative flexibility. So I'd often find myself after a stressful day, I'd spend half an hour to an hour designing furniture and that would be de that's how I decompress. How do you know when it's right? Uh, it feels right and then you, yeah, you sort of, I test it amongst the other collections to make sure it's still aligned with my aesthetic. And do you make it by hand yourself, the, the first one, or do you go no. straight into kind of a factory? No, it's just straight to, um, I've got um, several several makers that I work with, so it goes straight to them to prototype and then we'll workshop it together. And what, what would be like something you haven't designed yet that you're kind of keen to do one day? Uh, looking to design, home, get more into homewares, uh, looking at different materials, um, sort of ceramics and that kind of stuff. I'd love to get more involved in my hands, like not to sell but just for fun yeah. as well. So looking forward to that kind of exercise. Oh, cool. It's interesting when people talk about designing you know, a couch, table, chairs, I often think, like, how many more of these do we need? <laughs> <laughs> like, the world is full of them. We're sitting on them. They're constantly coming, and they're always, like, it's really interesting to see furniture coming through. You look at any interior design magazine, and there's, like, a new chair, a new mirror, a new whatever. Yeah. And you go, wow, that's cool. Like, it just seems to be always new things coming. But where does the inspiration come from? Like, I mean, you grew up with furniture, and, and, and your parents kind of, I guess, in a way, nurturing you to understanding what is good design and what's not so good design, etc. Mm. What, what's your starting point with a, with a piece of furniture? Uh, normally start like with what story am I trying to tell with what's the narrative behind the piece and really delve into that. So whether it's um, nature, often I'm inspired by it directly through nature. Um, so I go out and just sort of draw a tree or a leaf or um, a form that I'm really in interested in. Um, and then through that process of exploring that and diagramming that, then I'll interpret that into a furniture piece. Um, similarly, if it's sometimes I draw inspiration from the built environment. Um, so the first collection was inspired by monumental architecture um, and I was inspired by um, a Mayan temple, Chichen Itza. And I drew that and um, yeah, diagrammed that the same process and developed that into into distilled furniture um, table pedestal. So you want to do you design all aspects of life? I mean, you're designing the home, yeah. you're designing the furniture, you're designing kind of. Do you want to start doing plates and cutlery and? <laughs> no, you know? not that far. Oh, you don't. <laughs> not that. Do you design far. clothes? No. Would no, you like no. to? Sure. <laughs> Love to. A car? Oh, yeah, like sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you why could limit yourself? Just put your mind to anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's your ambitions for the future? Like, what do, what do you want to be doing in uh, 10 years' time? Uh, love to be doing more furniture pieces in 10 years' time and really interested in how this, this new 
Senator Sharon kicks off, but love to um, do my own development so I could sort of um, showcase the furniture and showcase the architecture skill set, um, sort of take these virtual concepts and make them reality, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. And it'd be good to see how the showroom goes in Melbourne because obviously um, it makes a big difference and people see the furniture for real. Absolutely. And why Melbourne as opposed to Sydney or Byron? Uh, Melbourne, the Melbourne designers are, are very supportive of locally made and locally designed products um, and a lot of our clientele are, are currently in Melbourne so it's, okay. so it's really going where our clientele are. Yeah. A lot of the houses you design are in Melbourne? Uh, they're all in Sydney, but yeah, um, yeah. Well, I have no projects in Byron Bay. It's just a lifestyle, work life balance choice. So Sydney, Sydney's where I work um, and where all my clients are. But yeah, and I've got a lot of traction with Sydney designers, a lot of friends specify my stuff, but definitely Melbourne is is very vibrant community for us. Talk about um, a lot of people listening in from around the world, so it's kind of cool. Um, you talk about Byron because people it, people do have this image of Byron. What's it like to live there? I mean, it's like I've often contemplated it myself. It's such an amazing place, but it's is it really as amazing as it looks? It is. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I wish I could say otherwise. It is. It is actually beautiful up there still. A lot of people, a lot of Sydney siders go, "Oh, Byron's lost it" because um, there's a lot of affluence moving in, and a lot of celebrity sort of culture. Um, are there but it's still very beautiful people are super nice energetically everyone's very sort of grateful to be there um the the nature is just incredible we've got a koala in our backyard and yeah the wildlife is just nuts wow not in a cage i hope <laughs> no. um <laughs> out in the wild yeah but what, what does it give you like because you know, i mean it's like you, you're not just there for the sake of it. It looks like really inconvenient being there and working in Sydney. I mean, yeah. how, how do you make the, how does it, what does it give you that Sydney wouldn't give you? Uh, it gives me a lot of perspective and a lot of um, just space outside of the hustle in a slower community. I've actually found my business has really improved since I've been having the space to, to be up there and to think and have that perspective and, and also um, solitude in a way to really just focus on, on my job and what I'm doing. Um, has been the surprising thing about being there is, yeah, really just, just grown and evolve. Do you surf? I'm the only non-surfer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like a lot of people go there because they surf. They do, so I need to get in, out there. Yeah. No. Well, no, maybe not. This Too much can be work. dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> or get one of those new um, flight boards that, uh, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're awesome. Yeah, they're cool. Well, you talked about... You're designing so much of other people's lives. Have you? Have you? Do you feel like you've designed your own life? Yeah, I think I have in in some res some aspects. Um, I think through asking myself, what do I want to achieve, and who do I be want to become? Like, what's my best self, and what does that look like? Uh, and then designing my habits to to get there, to achieve those those dreams and those ambitions, mm. um, is designing and curating your life in a way. Mm. How how have you done that? Have you approached that? Like, do you do you drink? Uh, I I drink sometimes, but yeah, not um, not that frequently. What, what have you changed about your life? I mean, location and everything, and you exercise and well, okay, you're doing a lot. <laughs> All right, you've done a lot. Is there anything else you want to talk about that you've done that's helped you feel better about life or manage life in a better way? Yeah, probably like my morning routine. I'd say has been the number one game changer for me. 
Um, so I get up at, at five. Um, I, now I'm starting Qigong. So I've been doing 20 minutes of Qigong, 20 minutes of yoga. It's like a... It's uh, like porridge. <laughs> it sounds like porridge. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a moving meditation almost. Oh, so it's almost like that. a Tai Chi, but you that move really and it's, cool. it gets all your energy um, flowing in your body and you're breathing. So it's breath work at the same time and clearing your mental mental energy. Um, and then do yoga for 20 and then meditate for 20. And then after that, I do gratitude, five things that I'm grateful for right now and five things that I'm grateful for in the future. That and then go back to bed. And then, yeah, <laughs> and then go and watch the sunrise. Jeez, Wow. That's pretty intense. Well, it's not intense. It's obviously, <laughs> it's a lot to do in the morning Yeah, before you even get started. Yeah, but you feel like you're sort of on top of the day, but by the time you've gotten through all of that yeah. and then you start your day, you feel like <laughs> you've already done something. Yeah, yeah. And I like that, what, so that gratitude. Talk about that more because obviously that's that the last thing that you do after all that. Yeah, so it's, um, I, I like to do it last and also before I go to bed. Um, so it's like fresh in my mind as well. Um, well thanks for the podcast today. Yeah, like, thanks, thanks, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what kind of things are you think? Well, can you talk about that? Maybe it's personal. Uh, look, it's it's personal, but just just little things. It could be as simple as thank you for the coffee I'm having, or thank you for you know the sun shining. Like, um, can be can be like little things that you would often overlook. Um, that. You would like sometimes it's easy to be in a negative mindset and be, oh, nothing's going my way today. Everything's against me, blah, 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 blah. But then when you when you do the exercise, it just shifts your energy completely. Is, did you do that because you were thinking negatively? Um, I did it because I just felt that I needed to – a few things were, were going not going my way and, yeah, just a few things to help appreciate and then just re, re-channel my energy. That's interesting. I, I tried this with my daughter the other day because I remember our conversation and I said, because she's cranky at times, <laughs> and I say, yeah, just focus on things that you're thankful for. It's like, well, like what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Here we go. Uh, that you're there, um, that you're breathing. That you're alive. That, yeah, you're like a nice outfit on, yeah. like you're healthy. That you're supported, comfortable. Yeah, I guess people do... You can get wrapped up in that whole busyness and the all the negative energy around and stuff, and just appreciating the small things in life, realizing that actually those small things are really important and have real value. Yeah, they are. They're huge. Not to be overseen. No, know? that's really cool. You do that. I've been doing that after my podcast. I mean, my podcast. I'll be thankful after the podcast, uh, but I, I do after my meditation in the mornings. I, I do. I think I heard that heard that from you, and I was like, well, I'm gonna try that, and. Uh, and I just, you know, a few things you're thankful for. And then um, things that you, because it's, I find it really hard to meditate. Um, I find like I get 20 minutes and I get halfway in going, damn it, I've been thinking about this the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> or, or something, or something, doorbell rings or the dog barks or something. That's, it isn't, the, I know Tim says you do it anywhere. Don't, yeah. don't try to find somewhere really quiet. Just do it where you are. If you get to scratch yourself, scratch yourself. But, yeah keep coming back to the mantra and um, do you find it hard are you doing all this time do you feel look i have found it hard at times for sure um sometimes you just get an idea and you just want to run with it and that's, that's yeah. how it works you like designing away and thinking you're meditating you're like yeah. oh you like stop that <laughs> no do nothing that's super hard it really is isn't it yeah 
Um, and it's because sometimes you think, well, that idea, that idea I just had may never come back again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that fleeting idea. But... I was, yeah. I was saying to Tim in the, when we did the, the weekend course, they're like, I've been trained to think of ideas. So I spent my whole time cr trying to find an idea for a problem or to solve. And the thought of turning those ideas away or suppressing those ideas really doesn't feel right, you know, like, but it's, um, but he says, no, they'll come back. It'll come back after in, yeah. uh, even stronger. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> how do you know if it's come back? But the clarity in how you feel and the idea of slip being out at like 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes a night, and that apparently being the equivalent to, you know, three hour, three to four hours sleep is pretty mm -hmm. phenomenal because I'm, I don't sleep very much. Do you sleep well? I do. Yeah, mostly. Damn yeah. you. Sorry. All right. Is that... <laughs> This guy's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want to do? Like, is there any any kind of challenges you're going to set yourself? Uh, look, it's always a challenge. Just seeking to do better um, is just on that that business trajectory and also personal trajectory of just how can you just do your best um, and just get your products out there. I'm really keen on. Um, becoming international one day with, with my products. So, yeah, keen on just maintaining that and then seeing where that takes me. And I'm sure you will, Daniel. It's been, um, it's been really cool to catch up with you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, Vince. Thanks for having me. Cool. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life with architect and furniture designer Daniel Bottom. Tune into the next episode where I catch up with the infectiously positive Ben Kerr, founder of Eco Outdoor. Australia's leading architectural stone, flooring, and outdoor furniture company. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.